perfect. <laughs> All right. Can you hear me well? Yeah, I can hear you. Excellent. Wonderful. Okay. Well, I'm so glad to be talking with you today. Likewise. Thanks for having me. How has your day been so far? What have you been up to? Uh, it's been good. Um, I went on a little run in the morning. <laughs> mm. And uh, I'm uh, just sitting uh, sitting down uh, working on this uh, new project uh, that I'm working on right now. And uh, now I'm talking to mm. you. <laughs> What's the new project's vibes? Like what kind of what kind of feeling is it? Um, it's something I can't say exactly what it's for, but it's uh, for mm-hmm. one of the one of the parks, one of the Disney uh, Disneyland parks, um, and it's for a uh, nighttime spectacular show. Mm-hmm. So it's very big and kind of whimsical and Disney like. Um, lots of songs and big orchestra. That's and so choir. interesting that you that you do that with Disney. How did you start working with Disney in the capacity that you do? Working with Disney is something that happened um, almost by accident o- o- over the past uh, four years or so. Um, I uh, I reconnected with a friend of mine. Um, from high school, Yaron Spiwak, and he um, he ended up getting a job working in um, in one of the park uh, kind of main music offices in charge of music mm-hmm. at the parks, and uh, we worked together on something uh, um, on a on a small project together, kind of outside of Disney. That's how we we got connected, and uh, he brought me in slowly to do different type of things um ranging from commercials for the disney parks to writing uh, original piece for a hotel <laughs> opening uh and then later on it kind of developed into these larger shows uh that are primarily based on the films like uh the mm. moana stage show um or this show that i'm working on right now that is based on a lot of songs from the films uh-huh so yeah so that's do you work with we're... the themes from the films like do you work with the similar the similar songs from the soundtracks or is it mostly original um it's probably both uh sometimes depending mm-hmm. on the project um i'll i'll be working with um uh, they call them ips over there intellectual property so i'll be working with disney ips uh, meaning songs that mm-hmm. they had licensed for for the films and sometimes it could be a theme that is is an in, instrumental theme could be a, a film score uh from like a pixar movie uh and sometimes it would be the the song um but most situations uh even when i am working with disney themes i'm required to do s- somewhat um something like um some kind of like transitional music and kind of stitching it all together which ends up being partially original score and um, kind of rearrangement of some of the main themes from the mo- from a, the movie that is being referenced mm-hmm. or sometimes even mashups so I'll, I'll take Frozen and Moana and kind of put them together mm-hmm. um, so yeah a lot of a lot of stuff like that very fun 
How is that in comparison to something that's going to be uh, mostly original work or totally original work? How does that how does it feel? It's different. Um, it's probably easier in the sense that um, you you can rely on um, on on a melody and a harmony as your is mm-hmm. your kind of like uh, is your I call, I, I call it like a well of ideas. So instead of creating a well mm-hmm. of ideas yourself that you might record on the piano or produce mm-hmm. a demo or a suite of ideas, you, you kind of have usually these incredible e- existing songs or scores to work with. So it makes it easier in, in the sense of like mm-hmm. how, to, how to get going. And like when you get stuck, you know you can lean on this theme that, you know, it doesn't need to be approved. It's already approved and it's, you know, the fabric of the film and the story. Yeah. Um, it's it's difficult in, in a, in a, it's more difficult than writing original material because um, there's this expectation to reinvent what you're working on, but at the same time um, to preserve it and respect it mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in the Disney tradition. And um, that that can be challenging trying to, you know, one up Alan Menikin arrangement or any <laughs> one of these, you know, or whatever Hans Zimmer. I was I was working on an attraction last year for for Disneyland California, and mm-hmm. that was that was uh, part of Oogie Boogie Bash. It's their it's their Halloween um, mm-hmm. uh, attractions, and uh, part of the attraction had the the I had to utilize music from the Lion King, and at the same time, <laughs> the, the Lion King <laughs> remake was coming out, which was done by Hans Zimmer and this incredible group <laughs> of musicians. So that was that was like kind of interesting to like you know there were two completely different people working on a reimagining of of the same material that was done 20 years ago or so um yeah it's uh so that's the challenge is to like there's you you feel the need to you know uh do it do it in a respectful way and and to kind of also do above that and kind of wow people and uh, it can be tricky because a lot of stuff has been done already so you you yeah that, that can be a little more challenging and, and less free than when you can write your own music and you're not depend dependent on that mm-hmm. and it's not like other people are doing working with the exact same themes so it's different in that sense probably more challenging in that sense yeah it's very interesting because your 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 work is then essentially a part of the legacy of that film like the lion king you're still working in like the lineage of that film's release you know so if somebody goes to see um a ride or or some sort of uh lion king themed situation at one of the parks and they hear your music they're still associating that music that they're hearing with like that authentic feeling of like disney lion king and it's really interesting that you're a part of that legacy in that way that it's it's still being made i I didn't know at all about how those sorts of uh scores were made so it's really interesting to hear about it yeah absolutely i i agree um it is um being part of the tradition um and it's beautiful to be able to tap into work that was done 
and composed 20, 30, 40 years ago, or <laughs> even like some of the classics. Like I recently worked on a project where I had to create um, instrumental versions um, of some of like the Disney classics, um, like When You Wish Upon a Star and Be Our Guest, um, the Fantasmic wow. theme. And those they had these original recordings of that material that was recorded Mm-hmm. You know, at Cap- Capitol Records uh, with, like, L.A.'s finest players and was arranged and orchestrated by, by Bruce Healy, who is this uh, legendary musical director for mm-hmm. uh, for Walt Disney. And that music is still being pumped. Like, if you walk around the parks, you still hear that music being played through the speakers. Mm-hmm. Those, some of it is those original recordings. So to be able to mm-hmm. recreate that... Um, and like at the same time tap into like the past but you're also kind of re- recreating or creating new um, back back background music and kind of tapestry mm-hmm. for the Disney visitors um, which is a very just like the films it's a very impactful um, experience to walk around as a kid in Disneyland and or Disney World and or to watch your favorite Disney movie and you get these memories and it's like smells and sights and sounds that you hear when you're at the park so to be able to like at the same time to tap into this like time machine (laughs) and work on material that was recorded very very long time ago but at the same time what you're creating is like here to stay is the new thing it's it's cool it's kind of like doing a sequel um, but at the same time, like <laughs> yeah. you get to tap into the original, you know, original music. A lot of times in sequel, the music ends up being kind of something different. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, really with the Disney films, it's this beautiful tradition that they can maintain with everything they do. And at the same time, they keep adding new stuff and new vision. And it also comes to show how strong the material is uh, that it can withstand the test of time. And um, yeah. you can redo it in a, in a, in so many different ways and it it still feels like there's stuff to explore um that's mm. that's really interesting have you visited your attractions once you've made the music for them i have and it's a pretty surreal <laughs> feeling um <laughs> yeah. yeah tell me yeah. tell me what that experience is like um so I remember one time uh, we we were doing this castle show, uh, which is like an, a, mm-hmm. a nighttime show that they project on the castle at the park. And mm. we were working on getting something done on a certain deadline because they were filming the projection show. Um, and uh, basically we recorded uh, a choir at my studio in West LA at around five o'clock. We already had all the recordings of the orchestra and everything before that. Uh So we basically recorded the the choir at my studio, this small choir, and we mixed it. And um, at about uh, 9 p.m., we drove to the park, to Anaheim, and then we made it just in time to see them filming it and, and seeing the music being pumped. On the <laughs> on the huge castle, <laughs> and being recorded. So something and that you made like earlier. Something that, that I just made like four hours ago at my at my little studio. <laughs> now there's like and there's the announcement <gasps> wow. at the park at at, at nine thirty. It's like, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we invite you to gather for a nine thirty uh, <laughs> special screening. Um, and that was that was really surreal. And another time was that uh, when I went to. 
um, again, it was in, at Anaheim going to see um, the Oogie Boogie Bash, and that was this more kind of um, sound designy experience where you walk in this haunted forest and you you hear the music coming at you almost in like a 3D way, um, and the music morphs as you progress through the trail. It's like a a Mm -hmm. 10-minute walk through this haunted forest, and you hear and see and smell sometimes um, everything. Um, Very kind of immersive experience, not not like a lot of the Disney rides. It's a little different. You're, You're also walking, so it's more free like you're Mm -hmm. just walking in this trippy garden um and walking through that stuff and hearing my music that i created in basically in (laughs) stereo and somewhat surround in my studio to to hear that rearranged and and um and used like that felt kind of like swimming in your in your own music is the best way I can <laughs> describe it uh, wow. because it sounded different it didn't sound like what it sounded like in my studio they also re- remixed it so there were certain elements that came oh, from really? above certain elements that came from like to the sides and behind you and it kept morphing as you moved around the the garden um, the 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 music wow. would switch from speaker to speaker I did design it in a way that it's uh, it's a uh, it's loops so that the music stays in sync with each other. Um, mm-hmm. So kind of like video game music or parade music, where you have to sync these two three minute loops yeah. of music music pieces. So I I did do that, but like experiencing it and and having that feeling of like going from speaker to speaker and just feeling the music wrapping you around when it's your own music it's very very strange <laughs> so that was that was that was definitely a, tri- a trippy uh visit and a very enjoyable one wow that's really really interesting man hmm how do you what sorts of things do you have to take into account when considering like the direction that the music is coming from or the fact that it's going to be outside like what do you affect in this what do you change in the studio thinking about where it's going to be played and how like widely and loudly it's going to be played um it's you 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 definitely take all of those things into account um by having a conversation i mean you you are i am being booked to these jobs as uh, as an outside hire for disney uh, sometimes mm-hmm. as a composer, sometimes as a music producer, sometimes as an arranger, uh, sometimes mm-hmm. all of the above. And uh, they they have a pretty good idea and experience with how to handle each, um, each project. And they kind of divide it into, uh, they call it BG, BGM, back, background music, uh, which is the music mm-hmm. that you hear when you walk around the park. Um, and that that music tends to be non-intrusive kind of background style stuff that mm-hmm. wouldn't overpower people talking or you know it it it's really designed to kind of be in the backdrop of of what you see and and feel in in every land in the park um and it's basically like kind of making an underscore for for a film or for a TV show but you are uh using you know the specific colors for that and you don't there's mm-hmm. not that many like swells the music the, the music tends to be more more like uh, long form plays and you know or like little tunes that would 
you know, three minute tune and then it moves on to the next tune in the playlist, that sort of thing. And then there's other yeah. music that are music, music for attractions and rides. Um, so that music is being played through typically small speakers if it's a ride that, like if it's a roller coaster, if you ride like um, Space Mountain. So it has these little speakers that are, if I remember correctly, they're right next to your ears, uh, next to your head headrest. And mm-hmm. they're, they're not the best speakers <laughs> either. So you, you kind of keep <laughs> that in, in mind when you, when you write <laughs> the music, like how it's being played. Yeah. But to be honest, like... You know, you don't you don't want to let that limit you. Like you you would still create whatever music is needed. If it's for a Star Wars ride, they'll use the some of the John Williams music. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, if it's um, if it's for uh, a different you know ride, Pirates of the Caribbean, they might use some of the Hans Zimmer score. Um, so yeah, you 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 do take it into account uh, to some degree. But really, what dictates it is the creative. Uh, behind it and I guess the third mm-hmm. type of music that you write for is music for live shows um, and and castle shows which is kind of you know they turn off the lights and it's more like a show and um, mm-hmm. then you don't really have to I mean you worry you worry again from a creative standpoint to make sure that it's suitable but um, then you're writing music for almost like for a for a musical or for you can sometimes write almost like what you would write for a movie but instead of the movie being projected in a movie score it's being projected on a castle um <laughs> so that music is is played through big speakers throughout the park and what kind of one thing to avoid is using a lot of reverb when you do that because when mm-hmm. that music is being played at the park outdoors it has natural reverb to it so that's kind of like a thing to watch out for from a technical standpoint whenever you write mm. music for the outdoors um so that's kind of like a unique thing um but other than that you know you really just kind of it's like writing music for media but instead of it being projected or being part of a film or a tv show or a commercial it's a story and it has the same dramatic purposes as a film score would need but it's in a live venue so you're in, you're scoring the place the venue kind of a thing which mm-hmm. is really neat yeah because then it's you're you're scoring an experience rather mm-hmm. than i mean a film is an experience but like that, yeah that's true it's also. not it's like an it's like participatory almost i guess it is i guess the difference hearing it Right. At, at a movie theater, you're sitting down and it's being, you know, played in front of you. Uh, and at the park, mm-hmm. you have more freedom to walk around. You There's also like, yeah, it's I guess it's, it's a little bit more of a wholesome experience in terms of like really feeling it. And uh, there's also the effect of watching this with other people and that like almost like uh, in some of these shows, I keep in mind the sound of the fireworks and the sound of the crowd going woo yeah. or ah or whatever. All the reactions—that's part of the mm-hmm. sound when you're actually there at the park. There's also like some shows that involve water, um, like mm-hmm. like the Fantasmic show. Um, that if you watch that at the park, sometimes when the music is soft, you can hear the spray of the water, and it's kind of like this hiss that 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 accompanies the show 
just the water going. Mm-hmm. And that is also something kind of subtle that I picked up on by, you know, going to these shows um, that you yeah. might want to keep in mind. And basically it means to avoid, to, to keep that in mind whenever you're doing soft passages of very tender moments when the music is very, mm-hmm. very soft. And maybe there is something <laughs> happening powerfully in terms of Im- imaging. Um, and that's, you, you can see that I think at the, you know, those Vegas shows they do the same thing where they project things on water um so yeah that's kind of again more kind of like specific technical things that you might pick up on as you dive deeper into this world um at least little little nuances that i i noticed while working Mm -hmm. on these so i kind of keep keep a note of that it's not a major thing it doesn't like change your composition or anything but i think yeah like you said you're, you're really scoring an experience of standing there or or riding through a ride, or walking through a land, or seeing this like larger than life, you know, boat mm-hmm. with dancers on it and like a real size volcano. <laughs> like it's really, really uh, 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 quite the experience. Yeah, I think it's another instance in which music could be taken for granted. Where I mean, consider like a film where maybe someone's not uh, really paying attention to the score. And that's all right, but like without the score, it would obviously suffer. And I'm thinking the same thing for an experience where, like, if you're at the park, there's so many things for you to look at and to do that don't have anything to do with the music that's going around. But if you were to have like some strange, like, eerie song playing in the background, you would notice it like right away. Absolutely, so it's really it would. It, yeah, I mean, it it's way. very absolutely just just like in a film score. Um, the underscore and the background music, uh, same true to a restaurant. You know, if you mm. if you go to a restaurant, yeah, and yeah. There, there's no music <laughs> playing. You might hear loudness. You know, people talking really loud, <laughs> or or it might be very quiet if there's not a lot of people, and it would kind of make the place feel more lonely or eerie. Uh, <laughs> and if you played the wrong kind of music, it it can yeah. So it really creates the atmosphere, kind of like lights and uh, and colors. Um, and in and, and the park, you mm. would really notice that if they turned off all the music in the <laughs> park, especially the BGM stuff, then and th- these shows, they really are pushed by music. So the music in the shows is almost uh, the first thing that they take into mind. And, and it's like the driving force behind um, mm. whatever's happening on the stage. So that's really part of it. And I think even your average guest at the park that doesn't know anything about music or music production or the scope or what it takes to make these shows he can sit at the, at a theater and and watch a frozen show or um uh the avengers live on stage with all the pyrotechnics and the the big music numbers and he would walk away and say wow that was cool the music and the effects like he mm-hmm. would still appreciate the music mm-hmm. i don't think he would it would go unnoticed um, yeah. At the park, when you're walking and it's more background music, that's for sure something that you would only notice if you swapped it out for something inappropriate or if you muted it. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking of um, Brian Eno and his ambient mm-hmm. music and when he first started making like music for airports and how he was just studying the idea of music that's not made to be listened like first and foremost right in front of you, but something that's meant specifically to be like right in your in your subconscious but not like straightforward 
Mm-hmm. That's what I'm thinking of. And but even that music is interesting to listen to on its own. Like if you are listening to it straightforward, it's like wow. Well, I think I think that's the goal. Um, I, I I actually recently I think I'm allowed to say it now that I recently did um, because it's airing. <laughs> <laughs> I did the music for Adventureland. If you go to if you go to Disney World in Florida. Um, there's mm-hmm. a area in Disney World uh, called Magic Kingdom, which is the main park. And at the main park, mm-hmm. there's an area called Adventureland. In Adventureland, there's uh, a, a few rides. The Jungle Cruise is probably the most famous one, and also Pirates of the Caribbean, the Aladdin ride, and the Tiki Room. Uh, those That's kind of like this area that you can walk around almost for 10 minutes if you were to go from front to back. Um, and what I was brought on to do was to, they, they basically had this background music playing at every one of these different lands. Uh, so for Jungle Cruise, they had this kind of like quasi-African music playing, and Tiki Room had its uh, kind of Hawaiian-based music. Aladdin had Middle Eastern-sounding music, and um, Pirates of the Caribbean had Caribbean music, um, almost like... Uh, sea shanty or like some kind of drunken Irish port musicians playing mm. uh, playing uh, sea shanty uh, music for for Pirates of the Caribbean uh, that for the area but what 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 the problem they were having is that the music w- was clashing with each other and in certain areas it's not a huge area so like when you walk from one place to another from the Middle Eastern Bazaar or, or like from the Aladdin ride towards the Jungle Cruise ride, you can you get hit with these four different types of music at the same time, and the result is just a cacophony, and it's not enjoyable, <laughs> and it's too loud, um, <laughs> and it's not really doing anything because it's it doesn't feel African when you're in the middle there, and it feels kind of like you there's bleed <laughs> of music coming from the other speakers. So what what I was brought on to do was to unify it and to create a theme um, that would be kind of like the Adventureland theme that would then morph as you walk through the park. Um, And basically I wrote four 10-minute cues. A cue is a piece of music. So I wrote a 10-minute piece of music for, I think I started with with the Jungle Cruise area, and that had a little Mm -hmm. kind of fun theme with African instrumentation and melodies. And then I took that piece and I redid that three more times um, with other instrumentation and slightly different music, but you could play all four of them at the same time. One would be with oud and Middle Eastern instruments. The other one is with like Hawaiian slide guitar. Uh, the third one is with like recorder and um, and guitars and kind of like Irish music, Irish instruments uh, and and Celtic instruments. And the fourth one. Um, was the Jungle Cruise one, which was with with the African instrument. So taking those four and syncing them together, the end result, when you walk in, the, in that area of the park, you'll hear the music kind of uh, naturally morphing as you go from one area to another without changing. So it wouldn't feel like a new track mm-hmm. is playing. It would just feel like when you're walking, when you enter, you hear music that sounds more African. And then as you continue, slowly the instrumentation starts swapping out for and have you're going to start hearing more Middle Eastern elements playing on top of it. And then at some mm. point, those African elements will fade out and the mel- melodies would sound the same, but they would be played by, by different instruments. 
um, and then so forth. And, you know, moving on to the Tiki uh, room, it would turn into more of a Hawaiian sounding soundtrack mm-hmm. um, and all the way to the end of the park. And at any point you can move around because you can't control the guest and tell them when to move. So that means that the music has to be synced at any given moment. If somebody wants to run from the beginning wow. of the park to the end of it, the music will still follow him and stay in sync throughout the whole time, which which shows wow. you that, you know, it's the subtlety that Disney goes to. Um, but those mm-hmm. details, they really improve the experience. And it's all about that. It's all about allowing people to immerse themselves in this land and where they are and you know when you're it needs to feel like there's like these drunken irish musicians hiding in the bushes <laughs> and playing a fiddle and yeah. dancing and playing the yeah. fife and um so that all is part of creating the experience Th- those speakers by the way they're hidden in like barrels and behind ropes and behind these hmm. artifacts and and customs and, des- and design that they use um throughout the park yeah, I was curious what speakers they play these things from. Like, because they must just be, at least like some of the shows, they must be massive or placed sporadically, <laughs> like something something that effect. Well, next yeah, next time you're at the park, you can notice if you if you look around, you'll see that there's speakers everywhere. Uh, they have kind of large PA speakers on the main path. Mm-hmm. Um, especially around the castle, and it's not like something they have to set up every night. It's all built into, you know, to the design of the park, and it's completely wired, um, you know, e- everywhere throughout the park. So they can reconfigure it and control it from their command center, uh, and the speakers mm-hmm. are laid out everywhere in the park, uh, in all types and forms. <laughs> it's uh, they have <laughs> they have a, like a really really elaborate setup. And you can notice them. Sometimes you can find them. You know, it's kind of fun to kind of see the, how they make the magic happen. And if you look at the facade of all these buildings and next time if you kind of listen to music and you follow the sound, you can kind of trace and kind of see if you can find a speaker hidden. Sometimes you can't see them. Most of the time you can't see them, but a lot of times you can kind of notice them. <laughs> I've never been to a park. Oh, Okay. Yeah, never, if you're a, if you're a Disney a nerd before. like me, it's it's all kind of fun stuff. <laughs> well, now now yeah. I'm like especially eager to visit one because I'll have all of this in the back of my mind. I'm just going to be searching for speakers and listening to the music. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so t- tell me how you got into music, man. How did you get to that point? How did you get to Disney? Where did you start musically? Berkeley, right? Don't you have Berkeley connections? I do, yeah. I started playing piano at a, a young age, at about age five or six. I picked up a keyboard and piano. I was very drawn to it as a, as a child. And mm. I started uh, with classical studies. I played classical piano growing up uh, throughout childhood. Um, and then um, I, uh, I uh, worked kind of as a, as a keyboardist and as, and as an arranger in Israel. I grew up in Israel, I should mention. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I was surrounded by a lot of different music, very eclectic environment. Um, and uh, uh, it, later on, I, I got a scholarship to attend Berkeley College of Music in Boston, uh, where I now teach. Um, th- you know, from my studio in LA, I, I, I teach in the film scoring program there, uh, and that's where I studied. Is, is I studied the film mu- uh, scoring mm. program at, at Berkeley. Uh, I, I went there originally. I got a scholarship as a jazz performance major, um, but very quickly I kind of 
realize that this is a l- little more interesting for me and this whole idea mm-hmm. of, of writing for movies and yeah. primarily w- working with with a large group of musicians is something that I was very interested in and in, in working in different styles and genres was something that I was already familiar with uh, but film scoring just seemed to be like a platform that allows uh, would allow me to do you know all sorts of interesting stuff that I probably wouldn't be able to do in other um, genres so that's kind of what draw me to film scoring and uh, after completing the program there I moved to Los Angeles and I got a job uh, working as an assistant uh, for a composer named John Frizzell who mentored me and really taught me everything I know about um, about working in LA and kind of running a business and how to handle large-scale projects um, and I've, I've worked with him for two years very closely we did a lot of projects together mm-hmm. um, and I got to work is a is an orchestrator and music producer and you know do everything from like making coffee to writing music you know <laughs> additional music at four in the morning for for a tv show um and uh after those two years i uh i kind of went started my own career uh my own my own journey i guess uh of work mm-hmm. my journey was continuing <laughs> it still continues but it's the um i guess the the solo journey of of an independent artist uh, <laughs> uh in yeah. la and uh that was that was 10 years ago is like when i graduated uh, uh we call we fondly call it fu <laughs> frizzell university and also <laughs> other meanings um and that was <laughs> that was a great you know, great learning experience, um, very challenging, but very re- rewarding. Uh, and then I got a show, uh, a little show after that called Teen Mom. It's a reality show on MTV that I've been writing mm-hmm. a lot of music for. Mm-hmm. Um, very That's really interesting. In- indie, indie sounding and guitar based. Uh, yeah, it's it, like I said, it's it's it, it, the moving around genres had already started early on for me, like when I was a <laughs> child, basically. So. Uh, one of my fortes is that I, I I can do a lot of different things pretty well and be able to kind of tap into different styles, you know, anything from big band to... Cl- I do another show called Chris Lee Knows Best. It's a another reality show that... But this one is very mm-hmm. classical music-oriented. It almost sounds like uh, the stuff you hear on Curb Your Enthusiasm, kind of like... A, classical mm. music that is somewhat yeah. funny <laughs> a little opera <laughs> um uh moments or yeah so stuff like that and then uh, i i i then got a movie called the Iceman with um michael shannon yeah and uh james franco ray liotta um and that kind of opened up some doors and that was also very different musically it was like very gritty and industrial sounding and um mm. yeah so like from there on it just you know all these different jobs came in and i managed to kind of tap into they were all but basically different genres and different categories and that's that's how i got to it you know uh, and specifically into film music and kind of what i'm still doing to this day and enjoying moving around all these different genres what do you listen to i uh, listen to um again it's kind of a range uh i go i go yeah g- give me give me some either recent or or artists that you feel that you visit most 
Um, so I listen to, I guess I can kind of divide it into categories. Like right now I listen to a lot of hip hop and trap music. Uh, uh-huh. I, I went through, sneaker entire, heads. you know, yeah, because of sneakerheads, exactly. So I, I was really, were you into, into it that. before, before sneakerheads? Were you into hip hop? Not as much. I mean, I, I was into mm-hmm. hip hop, but not, not trap, not as much, not to trap. I was, I was more yeah. into, you know, uh, uh, kind of like the classics and Snoop and run DMC and mm-hmm. the, kind of the older stuff. Um, yeah. and not so much the newer stuff, um, so yeah, so I really got into that. I listened to a lot of that stuff just for fun, and uh, <laughs> jazz. I listened to a lot of Brad Meldow, love him. Keith mm-hmm. Jarrett, Bill Evans. Um, I still listen to these guys. I also listen to a lot of film scores. Um, I I do enjoy listening to like other film music that, like you said, some yeah. like, even though it's not meant, it wasn't written to be necessarily listened to on its own but to me it's very enjoyable enjoyable excuse me uh so I me too to man yeah yeah i just like it I, you know i some, really sometimes liked, <laughs> um for some reason like horror films have gotten me most in recent mm. years like uh mm. midsummer and hereditary the lighthouse oh wow Oh wow, those are like, hard. those are those, those are intense to listen to. Wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great scores. But they have Amazing like scores. they have especially in Midsummer, some of the songs have like just beauty to them. Like they're True. they're horror, but some of it's just like absolutely gorgeous. And especially True. Hereditary, um Colin Stetson's score like with his saxophone work and his breath work, it's just like the most it like shakes you to your spine sometimes, but it's if you just put that on in the car, like really loud, you'll have an experience, like regardless. And that's wow. Really, okay, really I'm gonna cool. I'm gonna try to see. I I kind of I kind of get a little scared listening to to especially <laughs> Hereditary was literally one of the scariest, if not the scariest movie I've I had ever watched. Like since The Shining, it, and I and I watched wow. it a couple more times since. Um, and it's it was just wow. So I'm a little yeah, all, worried. All. To me, just just hearing that that already freaks me out. Oh my gosh! <laughs> no, I I have I have a funny story about that. I have a okay. friend who like has a complete aversion to horror stories. Like he 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 stays as far away from horror movies as possible. And he watched Hereditary. And one night while he was sleeping, I this is pretty deceitful, but. I got his phone password at one point from like I think we were changing this I was I was changing the music and I got his uh-huh. passcode and I just remembered it and then like one day months and months and months down the road I recorded myself doing the cluck sound and then I changed um <laughs> I changed his text tone like for me and his phone to that sound to that and sound I didn't tell oh him. my god that is so creepy <laughs> and it, it, what's funny is we were staying in Wisconsin and he was alone at the cabin, like by himself. And that was oh, when I no. changed it. And I texted him, like while I was out or something. And I forgot. And he said he heard it while he was alone. And it just like flipped That's his great. whole world upside down. That's great. That's a good prank. I like it. Wow. <laughs> that would scare. Yeah, man, that I, would um, scare the hell out of me. I'm scoring uh, my first film actually really soon, and it's. Not oh, wow. necessarily horror, but like it's it's definitely dark. And I just did the trailer music for it, and I I recorded it uh, a little bit up north at a cabin in this like hunting cabin. So the sound was like really really suffocating. 
and I used a lot of like really deep synths, really deep basses, and some of the sounds I made like horrified me. And it's so weird when you make something and then it scares you because it's like I just produced that that you know that that came from in me somehow, but like hearing it makes me like oh, so I can only it's- imagine how like other other composers feel like on especially big huge films like that that have like such dark stories attached to them 100 percent. you know it's funny you say that also like I, I also notice this thing like if i work on something dark it doesn't even have to be full-on horror but the mu- if the music is very dark mm-hmm. what i noticed that um when you score it in your studio um you you i at least i the way i work i listen a lot with the dialogue and the sound effects and when it comes to like mm-hmm. horror music, you you might be like putting kind of like a a drone or this kind of like sound design p- bed underneath things yeah. that would slowly morph and do things. But because of all the stuff that is happening in the film, you're not noticing all the little nuances of it. Once you listen back to that same music that you created in headphones just solo by itself and you start <laughs> yeah. hearing these the way these pads actually develop and what they do in full detail by yourself it's terrifying and you, i know that feeling of like whoa I, that came from me that's a lot of that's a lot of yeah, like i don't i don't remember putting that sound in there <laughs> right right so yeah. it's yeah it's an interesting experience for sure well thanks so much for the chat man i think we got a, a lot of decent decent stuff oh no problem man my pleasure yeah i'm sorry we didn't get to talk about sneakerheads but uh you know